Hello there, curious listeners. Trisha Bobita here on behalf of WBEZ's Curious City to answer more of your questions about the Chicago region and its people. Later, you'll hear about art and freedom in Chicago. I'm interested in asking questions and not posing answers. But first, let's get to know a fiercely independent suburb of Chicago. A few weeks ago on Curious City, I mentioned a question from Jim Patton about how Chicago grew over time by annexing its neighbors. The answer is an animated map you can find at wbez.org slash Curious City. But then I asked you to vote on this question. Which Chicago suburb story of resisting annexation do you want to hear more about? Your options were Oak Park, Evanston, and Blue Island. And the winner? My name is Domingo F. Vargas. I'm the mayor of the city of Blue Island. Yep, Blue Island. No offense to Oak Park and Evanston, but you guys were trounced by Blue Island, which, if you're not familiar, is a diverse working-class suburb of about 24,000 people. If you're rusty with Chicago-area geography, Blue Island butts up against the southwestern corner of Chicago. It's about 16 miles from the loop. To get to the heart of why this suburb said no thanks when Chicago came knocking, we need to go back in time. Way back. Blue Island is just two years younger than Chicago, 1835. This is Mike Kaliski. He's the chair of the Blue Island Historical Society. Blue Island was a stopping point for travelers going on to Chicago. It was still a day's travel from here to Chicago. So between Chicago and Joliet, Blue Island was it. There was nothing else. And this was a big town. So Blue Islanders always felt like maybe Chicago should be the suburb, you know, not Blue Island. But Chicago had a habit of gobbling its neighbors one by one. And by 1914, the city brought the battle right to Blue Island's doorstep in the form of an annexation referendum. Morgan Park had voted for it. So now, oh boy, it's getting closer. We know, now what are we going to do? So there's probably a little more urgency to the Blue Islanders' uh, frame of mind at that time. To understand the arguments for and against annexation, we dug up some newspapers from 1915. My guide and reader, local history buff Jason Berry. February 2nd, 1915, in the Blue Island Standard. The first gun in the annexation campaign was fired last Saturday when hundreds of circulars called Volume 1 on Annexation filled the mails and found their way into nearly every home in the city. Who is Annexation Society? The writer afraid or ashamed to disclose his identity. The anonymous flyers touted Chicago's public schools and other city services, but they didn't convince many Blue Islanders. In 1915, residents rebuffed Chicago in a landslide. 77% voted to remain independent from Chicago. Here's Jason Berry's take. We have our own identity. It's not a shock to me that in 1915, Blue Islanders also felt the same way. Growing up in the shadow of Chicago doesn't mean you had to give up who you were. The pride that Blue Islanders have today, you see it echoed in these old papers. Blue Islanders always felt very strongly about their place in history, and I'm glad that they were able to hold on to it. Identity. That word kept popping up when I dug into this history. Sure, taxes, politics, and plenty of other things factored into Blue Island's fear of annexation. But it was mostly about identity. So how'd they manage to stay independent? A big part of it was that Blue Island had already secured a way of getting fresh water from Lake Michigan. Again, Mike Kaliski. They didn't need Chicago to come in and say, hey, you're going to get water and this and this. We've already got it. So you got to understand their attitude was, we don't need you. We don't want to be part of Chicago. There's nothing Chicago could offer except higher taxes. Blue Island was also bolstered by its connection to railways and diverse businesses, making everything from bricks to beer. Mayor Domingo Vargas says Blue Island's diversity still keeps it distinct. Distinct from Chicago to the east and newer suburban sprawl to its west. 
industry, the jobs, the closeness of the people. The church has played a huge role here, too. Blue Island has basically been a community of churches, as well as the breweries, so from one extreme to the other. Much of that industry has faded, and many businesses struggle to compete against nearby malls. But Vargas, whose own family has lived in Blue Island since 1914, says the suburb is poised to grow again. We're coming back. The churches are coming back. The breweries are coming back. And eventually, hopefully, more of the small businesses will also be the unique niches here again. There's even talk of making room for newcomers by snapping up a few bits of available land in the surrounding area. And who wouldn't want to live in what Mayor Vargas once called the center of the universe? You can be a silver star shines on my blue island. Hi there, I'm reporter Robert Lorizel. You just heard a story about freedom from Chicago. Well, I'm looking into a question about the concept of freedom and how it's playing out in art in Chicago. I'm talking about an art piece called Freedom Wall by artist Adam Brooks. It's basically an enormous black banner posted near the corner of Huron and Franklin on the side of the building where the restaurant Nacional 27 is located. That black banner has a list of names in white letters. Martin Luther King. Abraham Lincoln. Harriet Tubman. Rosa Parks. Often walk by and wonder, John you know, what's the uh, common theme among all the names? Mahatma Gandhi. George Washington. Thomas Jefferson. Thurgood Marshall. There are 70 names in all, including one blank space. Truth. Margaret Sanger. Moses. The names have puzzled passers-by for 20 years since the Freedom Wall went up in 1994. Um, I'm not really sure what the, the tie is. There's a lot of diversity there. I figured that it was all the people that are from Chicago. But then again, Jesus Christ, he probably wasn't from Chicago, was he? Well, Freedom Wall is intriguing enough that Curious City received several questions about it. And one of the most interesting was this. What's the history behind the wall? That question comes from Dominique Lewis, who is here with me right now. Hi, Dominique. Hi, Robert. And we're here in the studio to interview artist Adam Brooks, who created Freedom Wall. Hi, Adam. Hi, Dad. So, Dominic, what was it that intrigued you about this? What got you interested in it? Well, I take the purple line into work every day, so I pass it, and I always catch just a few names at a time. So, you know, over time, I've been able to see the full list of names, and I always thought it was a very interesting mix. I thought, that's weird. Why is Rush Limbaugh on a list with Martin Luther King Jr.? You know, I always was curious about it. And so why is this called Freedom Wall, Adam? In 1992, in the lead up to the presidential election that year, I heard the candidates and all of the rhetorical noise surrounding the electoral process really ramping up the idea of freedom. Of course, who's going to be against freedom? America is the land of the free. But I was interested in exploring that word a little bit further because it is so much at the heart of any democracy, but particularly this one, I think. So, um, Adam Brooks, you did not handpick the names on the Freedom Wall. So why did you decide to seek other people's opinions about what to put on this list, and, and how did you go about doing that? It would have been very easy for me to sit down and draw up a list of names of people that I felt embodied the idea of freedom, but that would have been rather boring and rather personal. So in, in relatively short order, I decided that the only way to really do this was to reach out to as wide a public as possible. I used the internet, and actually I used snail mail to get responses from people who 
I thought would be interested in involving themselves with the project. So it was a very simple question. Give me the names of up to three people that you feel embody the idea of freedom, whatever that means to you. So the rank of the names on the list is essentially reflective of the frequency of nomination of those names. Did you have favorite names on the list, people who stood out for you for exemplifying freedom? Undoubtedly, personally, I do. But because of the way that I work and the way that I worked then and the way I continue to work, I'm interested in asking questions and not posing answers. That, to me, is what art making is about, is to ask questions. And so why is there a blank name on the list? And it's right under Frank Zapp, I believe. Six people responded saying that they really didn't feel that one name could sufficiently embody the idea of freedom. Why did you decide to put this list of names up without any explanation right there on the wall? You know, you don't have the word freedom anywhere uh, to explain what this is all about. I went back and forth on this one, but in the end, and this to me is borne out by Dominique's response, that she was moved to think about the relationship of all of those figures. I also believe that art should not be a spoon-feeding process, that people should do some work. Neither do I want it to be purposefully opaque or obscure, but asking passers-by and viewers to make connections between all of the names on that list is one of the essential components of the project for me. So, Dominique, do you feel like what Adam here was trying to accomplish is something that connected with you? Yeah, it definitely connected with me. It connected more, stood out more, because it didn't have a title on it. I I couldn't just Google what it was. And I tried. I'm on the train every morning kind of staring out the window, so I have the time to think about it. And there are some names I wasn't familiar with, so I went and looked some people up. And I've talked to people about it, too. I've talked to my friends like hey, you've seen that sign, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, what's the deal with that? What's going on? And that's all I can really ask for. And if in some small way I can lodge a question in people's heads and make them think a little bit, that's quite sufficient for me. So, Adam, with this artwork, you were using crowdsourcing before anyone called it that. And Curious City takes a similar approach. So we'd like to ask for the public's help. We're curious to find out what names people would put on this list if you did a new version of Freedom Wall today to learn who exemplifies freedom 20 years after your work was made. I think it's an intriguing idea. And certainly over the 20 years since the work was installed, I've thought about how some of these things might change because it is such a slippery concept. Dominique Lewis, thanks for your question. And Adam Brooks, thanks for telling us about your art and Freedom Wall. You're very welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. So, hey, Trisha Bobita back here, and we are going to make a new updated version of Freedom Wall with your help. Send us names of three people who exemplify freedom to you. Head to wbez.org slash CuriousCity or tweet the names with the hashtag FreedomWall14. That's FreedomWall14. 
The stories you heard in this episode were reported by Robert Lorzell and me, Trisha Bobita. Curious City is produced by WBEZ and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City is also brought to you by centuries-old newspapers in Blue Island. They do not mince words when it comes to Chicago's baloney. The pamphlet on the whole was the most ridiculous conglomeration of bald assertions dished up as facts we have ever seen. 